0: You're listening to two guys talking wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, how's it going? Frustrating night. Ah, uh, It happens to the best of us.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you get back from somewhere and you start using your computer again because you you know, you think you're gonna give your computer a rest by turning it off, but I don't think you should do it ever
0: i know it's kind of funny because like um if anyone has gone back and listened to the very beginning of this this podcast like i guess what like 300 episodes ago you and i both started with some very rudimentary technology and as time has gone by we've sort of upgraded stuff bit by bit you have a very good console connected to your computer i have a good console hooked up to my computer and things are generally sounding better when stuff is working
1: Yes, and then today uh, I've been gone for a week, and uh, I thought, oh, you know what? I'll just uh, I'll just turn my computer off, give it that give it that break that uh, that I think we all need. And uh, worst worst mistake of my life.
0: Well, you know what? Let's let, let, let's get past the the frustration. I'm actually very very excited for you. Um, like one thing is just before the uh, just before the pandemic, uh, I had an opportunity to go to. Um, Langdock it was the last trip that I took before the the world ended and uh just over this past week you have been in France as well for your first time
1: Yes, uh, surprisingly, you know that's one of those moments where you you kind of realize that it is your first time going somewhere to a country. Uh, I've been to Portugal, I've been to Germany, I've been to Spain, uh, and France. Just somehow always managed to miss
0: me, and uh, now I miss it. I mean, that's it. It's it's also something that. Um you know you and i have been very fortunate and and it's one of the things where as wine writers once you you establish yourself a little bit you generally get the opportunity to do a little bit of travel but it's weird that france has been elusive to you given the fact that you and and i we both focus so much on uh so much on ontario um i think of all the wine regions on the planet our our winemaking style lies more adjacent especially the great wines of ontario lie more adjacent to france than anywhere else on the planet
1: I would agree with that so yeah and uh i'll, I'll just tell you uh, i don't know what you're drinking tonight it is sunday night when we're recording this um but andre i a lot of people really like that nicholas Fayette 55 five dollar bottle uh blue label
0: yeah that's uh, one of my go-tos
1: okay a lot of people love that wine and i was in a duty-free shop and i know you're going to france a little bit later uh in the year yep when you are in Paris, you have got to uh, go to the duty free shop, and uh, it, I'll tell you, it's it's at the bottom of rack, and it is one of those Nicolas Fayette champagnes, but it's it's a white label, and it's called Brut Selection. Okay, that's what it's called, Brut Selection, and it is nineteen euros, and it is wonderful.
0: Um, when I was in France for New Year's in I believe it was also 2019 in Lyon. I found the Fayette blue label for 19 euros in a in a depanneur in uh, in Lyon. So like it's heartbreaking that we pay what we we pay in Canada, but it also makes sense. Like I don't it, it's your rule of thumb and it's something that both you and Conrad edgebick told me earlier on in my career is like when you travel, you know, be mindful of the stuff that you don't need to pay duty on and also the delicacies of the countries the olive oil uh any other like cooking stuff and I've always been on the hunt for that like uh going to Italy I look for really great balsamic vinegar and, and olive oil but when I go to France it's just it's hard to walk away from the really good deals because worst case scenario if you get hit with duty you're still paying a little bit less than what you'd be paying at the LCBO. so honestly it's really a low risk proposition to bring back more than your two bottles. So yeah, I don't know. Did did you bring back more than two bottles on this trip? I brought back seven. And that's okay. So I'm guessing you went through what I just said. Well, uh, so so obviously I do those
1: the, my wine videos, and um, uh, I I uh, picked up five bottles that we, you'll see, and they will be recorded. Hopefully, uh, if we can get some comp, uh, some uh, weather that wants to cooperate, uh, I will be doing them in an Ontario vineyard, um, and uh, I, I picked up some great Cabernet Franc. Which uh, I'll be honest with you, Andre, I'm looking forward to sharing some of these bottles with you. Um And I picked up a, a bottle of uh, Chinon Blanc, which is quite lovely, and some really nice Sauve Blanc as well. But these Cab Francs, they are not the Cab Francs that I, just to tell people where I was, I was in the Loire Valley. And I'll be honest, I am not a Loire Valley Cabernet Franc person. I um always have had a problem with Loire Valley Cab Franc because... It seems like they were always too green, um, especially the stuff that comes to the LCBO. Too too much uh, tomato leaf, too much bell pepper. And it's, it's like 80s Ontario all over again. It's like, you know, totally forgot how to make... Uh, good wine, and then suddenly I was there. And yes, it's there. Uh, the bell pepper, the tomato leaf, the the you know low sulfur you know wines that don't seem to stick. But then there are some absolutely stunning bottles of Cabernet Franc. So now I know what uh, our good friend Allison, uh, the Cabernet Franc Chronicles, is talking about. Because uh, for the longest time, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: Okay. Uh, before we get to your trip and the wine part, uh, I'm going to live vicariously through you a little bit, because I have really missed travel, and France is my favorite travel destination. And before you left, you told me that one of your missions was to find a pain au chocolat, or as you called it, a chocolate croissant, every day that you were there, just like you did with the gelato while you were in Italy. Did you succeed?
1: Uh, I did, but it, it, they were at my breakfast buffet. So Oh! I just ate them there.
0: Come on. I to- Come on. I, I sent you on a mission to go find like a, a little uh, pastry shop outside of the hotel and, and experiment. But I, I know. Uh, but
1: it was. I'll, I'll be honest. It was a really packed schedule. And uh, even when I woke up at 6 a.m., uh, I always found myself rushing to get one down to breakfast and two to my master classes at nine o'clock in the morning.
0: OK, OK. That's fair. That's fair. I'll give it to you. Um, the second thing before we get to your wine trip, you asked what I was drinking. Um. I've been doing some work at, uh, some of the Fortinos in the Hamilton area, and I'm always curious to see what's at the Coleo stores, which are in a lot of the, the Fortinos around the Hamilton area. Uh, I, I guess strong Italian connection. I grabbed a uh, Bricklayer's Legacy 2018 Chardonnay, uh, looking for VQA Lake Erie North Shore, and I got a little bit of information from... Uh, one of the managers who seemed to really know what was going on. And this is something, Michael, you and I, I think, need to follow up on. And it sounds like they're really starting to pull back on making wines with their estate fruit and pulling in from growers largely in Niagara. So there's a lot of VQA Niagara-on-the-Lake, Niagara Peninsula, and VQA Ontario products, and not a lot of Lake Erie North Shore. So the Chardonnay I'm drinking is in... A Bordeaux bottle, which is already something I find a little strange. Um, really strange twenty eighteen yeah. was a hot summer. A hot summer. I think this. I don't even know who would have made this wine in twenty eighteen. If that's after, that must have been after Lawrence left.
1: Yes, I believe. Well, I, I think Lawrence has been with uh, with Henry for almost three years now. Which I think when
0: Daniel Speck told me that, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Well, I, I mean, you can pinpoint the moment because the the Chardonnay and Pinot, the Chardonnay and Pinot at Henry Appellum, which to me, has always been good, not great, became great. I mean, every time I get a chance to taste the the Chardonnay Pinot from Henry Pelham now, I'm, I'm really excited for it. This wine is actually pretty solid, but, I mean, the talking point, I'm talking about what they're doing with the vineyards and the VQA stuff. I think it might be worth us firing off a note to the people at Colio because I know when uh, Danielle Giroux was handling their marketing, it seemed like they, and Lawrence was making the wine, it seemed like they were, you know, on the starting blocks of really helping to re-establish Colio on the market as, like, a serious winery like the 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 portfolio was structured in a way similar to peller and trius which is something i love because it gives you something for everything you've got the entry level wines but you know you and i i think we both probably have more than a handful of trius red in both of our cellars and that's a wine i always look forward to tasting so i'm a little disappointed to hear if that's the direction that that colio is heading in because that vqa lake erie north shore designation is definitely a selling feature and that wine region is in desperate need of a flag bearer to help help put them on the map in a more serious way
1: I, I would I would agree. I think the Lake Erie North Shore, um, and and look, if if you're listening from the Lake Erie North Shore, we want, for God's sakes, send us something uh, that we can prove ourselves wrong.
0: Um, and a full but- and a full shout out here because I know Ryan Oldridge, the winemaker at Crew, listens to this, and I'm sure he's probably agreeing with what we're doing. And Ryan's doing fantastic work. He's um, like he's leveled up. He's answered the call to action where he's made that fantastic Lake Erie North Shore Fumé Blanc. Uh, you and I have a handful of bottles to taste. Maybe we should um, do that together live on the podcast so we can talk to him ab- about it. But you know, it's. It's it's easier when rising tides float all ships and people aren't do- going at it alone. You know,
1: it's 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 heartbreaking because I remember going and I, I remember liking it in the Sedre, You know, fantastic winery there. Yeah, um, really good wineries. But uh, I hate to say it, the 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 wines that I have lately been trying from the Lake Erie North Shore, it's like they are uh, lo- looking to. To uh, pander to the lowest common denominator, and I, I, I'm 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 very it's, sad and disheartened by that by that region.
0: It, it's heartbreaking to say because like. I know, even for the ADX Wine Company, I've I've talked a little bit about whether or not I'd like us to get our hands on that fruit. I know Will Predom did his uh North Shore North Shore project with Syrah from the Lake Erie North Shore, and I know that it's a bitch to keep vines alive in the winter because they don't get the lake effect that we do in Ontario, thanks to Lake Erie being shallower and freezing over, blah blah blah. But I mean, yeah. Anyways, let's let's step off this because it sounds like we do definitely have another uh, podcast out of it. And you asked what I was drinking, so I had to do that. Um, what did you learn in France Michael
1: oh Andre I have so much uh,
0: that's been packing
1: my brain uh, that we're I, I think the, the thing to do with this is I know you're going to the Loire later in the summer and and, and it'd be interesting to, uh, to to compare notes I think oh, that so, would be totally really well really I... what we should do here but you know obviously the the, the takeaways that that I'm gonna give you are, and, and, the, and the broad strokes here our, uh Sauvignon Blanc is alive and well in the uh, in the Loire Valley. There's okay. no doubt about it. Um, basically, uh, we didn't do uh, Sancerre. Um, it it seemed to be everything. You know, we we uh, we tasted stuff uh, from around Nantes. We tasted stuff around. Uh, I love the name of the city. It's Angers, but it's spelled Angers.
0: Angers, yep.
1: A perfect name for uh, for a city that I'm sitting in. Yeah. Um, and then uh the the, the ones that center around Tours, uh, and so that's basically where we were at, where we were talking about for this trip and I, as I said, I really loved the Sau Blancs that I was t- tasting from uh, Turin probably some of the nicest uh, Sauvignon Blancs that they're doing and 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 then they're not you know, trying to copy New Zealand it's, which is beautiful.
0: Well I mean that's the thing is, is, is France are like the OG Sauvignon Blanc it's just you know, New Zealand has come in with—I mean, frankly, good for New Zealand for establishing their uh, establishing their own style. But yeah, it's nice to have you. I—it's it, so maybe here. Here's a question for you then: What does? Um, well, first off, what's the? style? I have so many questions for this. First off, what's the, what's the style of French Sauvignon Blanc that has you like really enamored with it?
1: Well, there was one morning where I, I started. I did. I did a lot of rosé, and the rosé, first of all, is, is on the sweet side. Okay. Uh, they call it dry if it's one point five grams per liter or less. Believe it or not. Okay. Uh, which to me is is still a little sweet, uh, but they acknowledge there's a sweetness there.
0: Wait, sorry, one point one because one point five grams per liter is dry. Like four grams per liter and low is is dry. Well, they 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 acknowledge it as sweet. Okay. So,
1: um, they they have some that are like fifteen grams per liter. Okay. Okay. So, um. And, and still call it slightly dry, and uh, but they they are are are, are looking at uh, sweeter rosés. So I started in every tasting that we did with rosé, uh, and I would be like, "Wow, these things are
0: sweet." Are and, they balanced though? Are they balanced, or is it just like it's that style of rosé that's fallen out of style yeah, in North not, America? It,
1: they're not looking for the acidity; they're looking for that style of kind of sweetness uh, in rosé.
0: What do they sell for? Um, you're looking at five euros or less. Okay, so you're talking about a six, seven dollar bottle of wine. Correct. Okay, so
1: now I'm just saying when I when I was able to see a price, we didn't always get prices. Yeah, fair when enough. I could see a price. Uh, I was looking at you know it, it's a sweeter rosé. So, but I tried with rosés and and in my rosé report there will be special men- mentions for stuff that I tried in um in the Lower Valley. That that being said, then I moved on, and and there was one morning that I, I had a bottle of Tourin, and and it's available in Canada, and I have to do some research whether it's whether it's available in Ontario, and it had just some
0: really jangly acidity, um, jangly. You know, I, that's it, new for me.
1: Wakes your teeth up.
0: Okay, okay. So so jangly means just like like high and searing. Yeah. Okay.
1: And that I really liked, and it, it, as I said, it really woke my mouth up. But from there. Uh, it was mostly, you know, many a lot of grapefruit and gooseberry, but not the cat's pee that you get out of uh, out of New Zealand, um, and not, not too much uh, grassiness is there. That herbaceousness is there, but it's not prevalent. Uh, you know, you get peach and tropical fruit uh, from from the area, so it's it's really nice and fresh, li- a, a lot of my notes said fresh and lively, and just drink all day. Hmm. And that's that's what we got from the the Turin region, which I really really enjoyed. Uh, the Savigny is is you know uh, an outstanding bottle of wine. Uh, there's so many good ones, uh, and as I said, the Cabernet Franc that I was tasting, uh, it's sti- it's still a you know hit and miss kind of thing for me, uh, but the ones that hit really hit. Really hit the Somar region, uh, just some of the some really great uh, uh, Cabernet Franc from there.
0: Interesting, uh,
1: to the point where I was like, um, believe it or not, because you know about these these trips, you end up on a bus with a whole bunch of people, yep, and you you can talk to the person next to you, but you know, when they fall asleep and you're still awake, you can kind of listen to the conversations around you. And I was listening to this, you know, a uh, snotty French, uh, I know snotty in French sometimes just seems like, you know, a redundancy there, but a, a snotty mm. French uh, journalist, and he was telling whoever was beside him that uh, Cabernet Franc is only made in the Loire Valley and anywhere else that it is made it is not real Cabernet Franc and that they can and, and it, it be in the because uh of the Loire Valley being what it is they are the only region that can make cabernet franc properly and that anywhere else that you try cabernet franc is wrong and i felt like standing up and pointing at him and yelling what
0: so well good uh, for you, good for, you for showing restraint but i mean you and i both know that's that's patently untrue and there there are not, not just outside of Ontario. I mean, oh my god. It's hard to know where to um, where to start in terms of like how wrong that is. And I'm sure if, if Alison's listening to this podcast, she's probably feeling the, the, the same way. But Cabernet Franc definitely has an important spot in Ontario. And, and I, I am inclined to agree with you that it is going to have a large part in putting Ontario on the map worldwide. But, I mean, he has completely discounted Bordeaux. Uh, especially right-bank Bordeaux where, okay, while Cabernet Franc doesn't play the majority of most of the blends there it also plays a critical part in well, the, he, the style he, he was of that talking about varietal straight cab franc. okay cool well you've got great examples in uh, south america popping up now notably from argentina and frankly even what they're doing in california cabernet franc in the right hands is just glorious down there uh, bc as well so i don't know it's it is one of the things about french people in um and this is definitely generalizing because I know you and I have both had an opportunity to meet a lot of... It, it, it's it's that quote from Ted Lasso in season one, be curious, not judgmental. And there are a lot of really great French people in the in the wine industry who have traveled outside the country. But it's the thing about French patriotism is there's almost this like passive aggressiveness that comes with it. I'm sure you probably experienced that there where it's just like, you know, you're married to an American... And the American patriotism is unapologetic and brash. Wave the flag, and wave it in everyone's face. Where the French, it's almost like they they carry themselves like they just know they're better than everyone, but don't care what anyone else thinks about them. And that's, I think, that's what you were experiencing with this particular journalist.
1: Well, I, 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 thankfully, he wasn't talking to me because I, I I probably would have
0: lost lost my. Are you saying you um, would have gotten angry and angers? Yes, I would have. There would have been angers and angers. That that is an interesting conversation conversation to hear. I think that's one of those things where if we go back to Ted Lasso, you could have asked him and asked him if he'd just taken some time to ask the questions. It's like, have you ever tasted Cabernet Franc from anywhere else in the world? Well, that, where that, have that, you tasted that, it? What that, like,
1: And that's the other thing to ask, right? And I never I, I did because he wasn't talking to me. and i and I felt like um, I felt very similar to when I was in Italy last time, and we had a Czechoslovakian writer. Talking to somebody who lives in France but was of Russian descent, and uh, the Russian was saying how, um, you know, Putin is right, and the Czechoslovakian went absolutely ballistic on them. (laughs) Wow, and that's and that's when I that's how I kind of felt listening to this uh, writer saying that Cabernet Franc cannot be made anywhere else in the world, uh, properly. And I it was that moment where I thought to myself, man, do I do I go Czechoslovakian on this guy or do I just shut up and sit there? I decided to do that because I was in a foreign land.
0: Well, and I mean, that's it, too, it is, um I know I've spoken with Guillaume about this this quite a bit. Uh, my French business partner, for those of you listening to the for the first time, um, it is a challenge to learn about wines outside of France. And I've actually heard uh, some Italians talk about this, too, that in, in North America, We are fortunate when you decide to study wine because of, you know, bodies like the LCBO and even just how the market works. And and frankly, the um, lack of volume that Ontario or Canadian wine, uh, the amount that is produced isn't enough to feed the market. We are forced to drink wines from elsewhere in the world. But it's also like, Michael, if you and I want to taste Cabernet Franc from four or five countries as limited as the selection is at the LCBO we could go and probably find bottles of Cabernet Franc from four or five countries with relative ease where I don't think for a lot of french people so i mean it's not enough to forgive the forgive the ignorance but i i, I don't know my heart almost breaks for statements like that because the other worst part is like we said at the very beginning of the podcast i think what's happening in ontario is most of the winemaking is looking firmly to the old world for inspiration and you know, if we're making Cabernet Franc really well, it's because we're learning from what the French do.
1: Correct, and I think I think we have taken it to another level. Um, yeah, we're we're in the pro-
0: we're in the process of, of making it of a hundred percent making it our own.
1: Correct, and and you know, as I said, early eighties, mid uh, even to late eighties, Cabernet Franc in Ontario was all that weedy green uh, stuff. Uh, and people just got used to it, and then at some point, I think uh, something switched with our winemaking, and we said, you know, let's get away from, you know, bell pepper, and try to get this fruit to be better. And I think I think we've hit that. Uh, and France took a little longer uh, to do it, but they are they are there, and I think they're the winemakers that are really. Uh, really hitting the mark on, on Cab Franc and they are looking for, uh, you know, a, more of a fruit characteristic, more of a dark fruit, uh, you know, some black cherry, some black raspberry. Um, sometimes there's a mix of red and black fruit in there, maybe a touch of herbaceousness, maybe a touch of floral, but yes. there's, there's nothing like a well-balanced Franc uh, because I did taste some that were very bell pepperish, and I was like, "No, that's not the hit. That's not the way to do it anymore. Time to get out of that." And and there was there was a fair bit of winemakers who were like, "No, bell pepper is not is not the uh, most predominant thing we should be putting in this wine." And I was so happy to see that.
0: I, I am very curious. though. I, I like. I'm, I'm looking forward to going to the Loire Valley just to talk to some winemakers about vineyard management versus what happens in the cellar, because. Uh, not knowing we were recording this podcast today, because you and I have been a little loosey-goosey on our, on our schedules, because both of us have been insanely busy, both with travel and, and personal stuff, but um, I picked up from Endless Bottle Shop in uh, in Hamilton, and for those of you in the Hamilton area, I highly recommend you check out this shop. Um, I bought a bottle of Chinon from uh, Beatrice et Pascal Lambert. Uh, it was about 35 bucks, which, I mean, is not cheap, but also not super expensive for a bottle shop. But it was... It, it had the bell pepper note but it was ephemeral like it was so buried under fruit and it was so buried under like a proper subtle floral note not not like one of those those Cabernet Francs where like the violet note is so intense that it drives the tannin and you're just left with that like feeling of cheap potpourri on the back of your palate everything about this wine was like a like, a, a perfectly executed trick play, you know? Like, the ball being handed from one person to one person to one person and then in the net. And it was the fruit that was driving the bus. Like, the fruit is who scored the goal. But it had the bell pepper. It had everything. But it worked. It worked really well. Like, I I'm, I, want to drink more of this wine. I need to pick up some more of this wine because it wasn't that expensive. And I'm just curious how you rein in that bell pepper note because it's definitely correct to the variety but I, I I think like you and I are both of the same mind of it where it's just like when bell pepper is what's driving the bus it just like it turns you off you know yeah, it, it, it totally does, and that's that's what I
1: think. And I I I my belief, and again, we may maybe after we both go to the Loire Valley, we both talk to some winemakers, we grab our good friend Allison and, and, and get her to talk to us again uh, and educate everybody on it. I think it's just underripe fruit.
0: Well, let's see what we learn after after I head there. Um I know like you said, we are definitely gonna do a follow up, but for me do you have any standout producers and are there any wines available in the market that we can really look forward to?
1: Uh, again, Andre, it's one of those things that I really have to go over all my notes. There was <laughs> so much wine. Um, there was, uh, I think, we started with master classes most days and then you know we would go into these tastings, mass tastings of like 114 to 140 wines. So I was basically just writing notes. Um, and you know, and I tasted everything. It's not like uh I know some people would only taste things that were from their own country or available in their own country. I want to taste it all because you never know what's gonna end up showing uh at, at the LCBO for God's sake. well, and also
0: to just connect. to learn right and yeah,
1: and again, you have to learn what's going on. uh so I tasted everything. I saw Canada on some bottles, but everybody seems to like Alberta, and of course it's France, so they love the saq. Uh, so uh, just trying to, you know, asking winemakers, um, you know, where are you in Canada? A lot of them are like, oh, we're in Alberta. We're in British Columbia. We're in the SAQ. And then you would go Ontario. And it was almost to a person where they would say, oh, we really want to get to Ontario. But it's such a pain in the ass. Um,
0: I can listen. Uh, this is something I haven't told a, a, a ton of people. I don't know if you know this, Michael, but for the ADX Wine Company, we're exporting 20 cases of wine to um, Newfoundland this year, and frankly, the process is significantly easier and also less cost-prohibitive for me to export wine to another province than it is to deal in the province where we make wine. And, and it, that's if that's not an embarrassment, I don't know what is. And you know what? I think we should end right there. Huh well okay you know what can we can we pull back though because i want to go back to the living vicariously and you know what we'll we'll tag we'll tag tourism france on this because i know i said it a couple times like france is my favorite tourism destination and i know you do enjoy traveling this was your first time in france what was your overall impression of the country and of the people minus that one journalist minus that one journalist please
1: i love the people i i thought they were great the winemakers were fantastic to talk to um it, 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 I, I did try my broken French. Um, I started doing a little bit better in my uh, in, in my French by the end. Uh, but I would have probably needed another week to really start, you know, feeling comfortable in speaking it. Mm. Um, uh, Angers, uh, I think when I sent you a message, because uh, you said, how is France? And I said, it looks like a big American city. Hmm. You made the comment that uh, maybe it was one of those cities that was bombed during World War II, and they had to rebuild it. And that's probably very true. Um, uh, you know, the countryside was great. There was a lot of walks and vineyards and stuff like that.
0: Oh yeah, you told um, me. You, you actually sent me a message one day saying that they're trying to kill you. Yes,
1: because uh, I think they they I think they saw us all get off the plane, and they said you were all fat Americans and Canadians, uh, and we are going to walk like we're going to frog march you three miles every day. <laughs>
0: Uh, what what shape are the vineyards in? I know that a lot of regions in France had uh, late frosts, and it's it's um, it has been stressful for them.
1: Uh, the vineyards looked in good shape, and they're in a heck of a lot. They're in a lot. Um, they're in a further state than we are in. How about that? They oh yeah, have that's for sure. Leaves and shoots, and I was like, wow, we are way behind. And I don't know if we're just way behind or if they're just way ahead.
0: Um. And I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast know I, I wouldn't categorize you as a super picky eater, but there are certain things that you absolutely will not eat. As someone who's a picky eater, how were your meals? Did you have a hard time finding was, some I was, stuff? I was, or, or with what with
1: the meals. Uh, this just one time, we were somewhere and there was this this lady out of Ireland. Now, you got to remember Ireland, what Ireland people eat, what the Irish eat.
0: Um, it's potatoes. At one
1: point, she was telling me that this pate she's absolutely loving it it's the greatest thing since sliced bread you really have to eat it blah 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 and i was like oh what's it made out of and she said oh it's made of awful and i said no
0: made of awful
1: yeah the innards and the, the gizzards and all that
0: oh okay so that's one of those things where you like you just had a a hard time like record okay so that, that's... I I think this is one thing where also people who've listened to this for a while know that you and I differ is I'll eat first and ask questions later because sometimes you put something in your mouth where, like, the thought of where it came from can be a little much. Uh, yeah. No, okay. Listen, I, 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 do, I do have sympathy for that. Do you have any meals that were standouts? Like, did they serve you anything... That was... that
1: was in, des- in the dessert category, Andre. Okay,
0: well, I mean, it's it's why I had to lose all the weight during the pandemic, as I'm married to a French trained pastry chef. I oh, mean, oh my God,
1: they were you know <laughs> the the macarons and the and the profiteroles and the uh, there was just some really great great stuff. Like just the, we did some veals, we did some steak. Uh,
0: oh, that, okay, yeah. that's listen, that's one thing, especially as a prairie boy, and I need to give a, a shout out to that, and and like Michael, I think like. French beef is just something that's magic like a hundred yeah, percent straight up um, it's also I, one of those things too where you know when you grow up out, out west I, th- I think even as Canadians we generally think there's one way to cook a steak and that's on a on a barbecue with the grill marks where the French they do it generally in a in a frying pan a searing hot frying pan and it's just like well it's coated in butter right that's so. it
1: The one thing that I was surprised at uh, great bread no butter where the hell's the butter on the plate where on the table?
0: I know, especially. It, uh, I, I, I do, do I do, I do agree with you too that they haven't put those two things together. That the French haven't put those two things together because French butter is just so delicious.
1: And then the um, and then the final thing I, I'll say that in our last meal, uh, when we, it was our Cab Franc dinner, uh, we did it in the Museum of uh, Jean IV, Uh and one of the uh, the appetizers that came around was this little beef patty it literally was just a mini it was on the size uh of a quarter um or a loony. let's go with the size of a loony. Mm-hmm. uh it was on a green bun which i believe was a, they said it was a chlorophyll bun and then there was cheese uh two pieces of teeny little cheese uh, top and bottom and then there was like a little piece of tomato on top oh. and andre they just said it's a it's a it's a little hamburger and then they've described it. it it was an appetizer i had three of those Sounds they right. were amazing. Everybody in the room was buzzing about those. That was probably the best bite I put in my mouth. Uh,
0: the, o- the only thing that you did that was a little bit mean to me, though, was that first meal that you were there. You sent me a message uh, highlighting the the cheese course. Um, yes. <laughs> that your, The first cheese course you got there included Conte. Yeah, there was, there was at least two different kinds. It was really, yeah, I knew that was going to get you, Andre, so... Okay. Okay. I know we're getting close to wrapping up here because you're getting ready to do dinner. Uh, you did get a chance to experience travel on the TGV. You went from Paris to uh, Angers, right? Yes. Uh, how was that? I had no
1: problems with it. I got. Uh, it was a two and a half hour train ride. Uh, the internet worked uh, I got some work done I got an article written
0: um, <laughs> so you weren't you weren't impressed it sounds like you like you were you were underwhelmed by being impressed with the technology or any crap like that it's just uh, for you it was a way to get from point A to point B no no additional no additional critique to the TGV system in France no I, I don't know if I should should have had one or not but I, I'm okay i am happy with it. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to diving into the wine specifically. And it's nice to hear that you had a had a, a great time in France, especially the, the champagne stuff. Uh, so the takeaways from this podcast are also you and I should follow up on what the hell is happening at, at Colio if they are retiring their vineyards. And we've got to talk some more Cab Franc with Allison. Um, something we haven't mentioned on the podcast in a little while. We are still doing Patreon. So patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. We are still doing that because it does cost not a lot, but a little bit of money to keep the podcast going. And we appreciate the support when people do it. I'm Andre Wine Review at Andre Wine Review on social media and andrewinerview.ca. And you are... I'm uh,
1: Michael... Oh, jeez, did I, did I step all over you again? Nope, you got it. Hey, okay, I'm Michael Pincus of Uh You can follow me on the social media at uh, uh, the Grape guy and at MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Take us away, uh, dude. Andre, I just said the social media. I feel like uh, some old timer, so I'm going to just say goodnight. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.